Hello, listeners, and welcome to Act Two Podcast by Choosing Him Ministries. I am Liz Melville. I'm your guest host today, and we are going to be talking with my friend, Jesse Van Claveren. I didn't even say that right, did I? <laughs> it's Van Claveren, but it's okay. <laughs> Claveren, um, about her adoption journey and God's faithfulness throughout that. Um, so, and just full disclosure, I worked with Jessie for years and I got to know her off and on because uh, she was there and she left and she came back and now I'm no longer there. And I, it's correct to me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we're even closer now that I don't work there, which is oh yeah, cool, but also sad that we don't have the opportunity to be in the same place at the same time anymore or not as frequently. So Jessie, would you just do us the honor of telling us a little bit about your family and where you're at in life right now? Yeah. So, um, I am, uh, my name is Jesse. I'm a mom, um, by the grace of God. I'm a teacher, uh, at a small private school in Petrie city. And we have a son we adopted from India and, um, my husband's a teacher as well. We live in Brooks and just kind of learning to adapt to new life and building community where we're at right now. Well, tell us about how you grew your family, because I think that is a very beautiful story. Um, so tell us about your son. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this really is just, I think, the the beauty of a God who knows a very full picture of our lives, who who knew us before the foundation of the world. Um, with our story of growing our family, uh, my husband and I have been married for um, over 11 years now. And over those 11 years, went through all the processes of trying to grow our family, and, and it wasn't happening. And um, Adoption had come on the table and I presented it to my husband, Mike, and asked him, what do you think about this? And he was never opposed, but it was something that we never wanted to force. So we didn't want to say, well, God, because you're not doing it, we'll make this happen. Um, we wanted to make sure that it was under his direction. And I just really felt the Lord tell me, um, you need to wait for Mike's lead on this. And so I said, okay, I will wait. I'll put it off to the side. And um, during that process, we were in Indiana at that point, we're living with my in-laws who now live here and I'm at their house right now. <laughs> um, but over those years, we were living in Indiana. We moved back down to Georgia because that's where we felt God saying, go back, be near your family. And then Mike is still currently working through seminary at DTS. So we moved out to Dallas and um, it, it's just, it's amazing how God works, how he brings all these details together. Um, we went out to Dallas during COVID um, and found out once we got there that we actually didn't have to be on campus because the requirement for like on campus education experience had been lifted due to COVID. But somehow God led us to be there. When we were there, we were in the the marriage housing department, you know, so we had um, lots of families and married couples and kids in the building and because of DTS as a really large international pool. So we met families from all over the world and that was very integral, I think in our process. Um, over this time, my dad got very sick. He got COVID. He was immune compromised. Um, he was a double transplant recipient 16 years ago. Well, actually 19 now, cause it's three years now that he has passed. But, um, he had been a transplant recipient for 16 years and his body was just really dealing with the toll of that. We knew if he got COVID, it, you know, he wouldn't be able to withstand it. 
So he did. He passed October 5th of um, 2020. And that that date's actually important. Um, it's important because of God's story. But during that time, Mike and I went back to be with my family, you know, um, got to say goodbye to my dad. We were there for the, our quarantine process before we could fly back to Dallas. And once we got back, we we're like, what do we do now? Um, we had come to Dallas with the intention of international missions. That was Mike's degree study. Um, we really wanted to go to the Middle East and we wanted to do missions. We felt that's what the Lord had been preparing us for, for the last probably five years. And once we got there, things just changed, you know, um, our lives had changed and we felt, um, God telling us to go back home. So one night while we're preparing, we were kind of coming down from the day, winding down, sitting on the couch and Mike looks at me, we're still in Dallas. And he says, what do you think about adopting? And I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. It's like, th this is a serious thing right now. What do you mean what I think about adoption? A hundred percent. And that was, that was the thing I've been waiting for. That was Mike leading, you know, I, I believed that God would bring it about and I waited and he brought it up and I said, yes. Um, so then we started doing some research. We have friends here who have adopted internationally. Um, they have uh, just really been kind of forerunners for us and relaying the the information we needed to know for how to get started. And um, we also didn't realize that being where we were and having the access to all these countries around us, how integral that would be. And so Mike started doing some studies on the Joshua Project and the least Christianized nations. And of the top five, we had made contacts with all five of these countries by friendships, just being in Dallas. And one that stuck out the most to us was um, India and our friends, Avinash and Kathy, we just had conversation with them one night and Mike said, man, be honest with me. What are your thoughts on me? Just a, a white Westerner adopting an, a native Indian child. And he said, man, I, I still follow the local news. You know, his family's back there right now. And every single day there are children found in the trash can. And he said, so if you feel God calling you to do it, you do it. And um, that was a green light for us. And everything literally just funneled in that direction from that point on. Um, and so, I mean, I don't really know how far you want me to go into detail because I could just keep rambling and I don't want to do that. Well, tell me a little bit about the process from there, about how long did it take from the moment that you decided until the moment you were in India about mm -hmm. to bring your son home? Yeah, so that was December that we kind of had this conversation and we actually moved back home mid-December and then we needed to kind of settle back down. I surprised my mom with coming back to Dallas. She didn't, I mean, coming back to Georgia, she didn't know that we were coming back. Oh. <laughs> so I surprised her and um, for, you know, better or worse, that, that turned out being what it was. We lived with her for three months and then we found our own place. And at that point we felt like, okay, now we're going to start. So March of uh, 2021 is when we started and we brought our son home September of um, what was last year, 22. Mm -hmm. So it was an 18 month process. Is that typical? Because I, I'm not familiar with adoption and were there hurdles along the way that you guys had to overcome or was it a pretty smooth adoption process? Yeah. So um, typical for India would be two to three years. Um, things had actually slowed down significantly because of COVID. 
However, at the beginning of your process, you have to do a special needs consideration form. And that reason is because India is primarily a special needs country. And, and that is because of the caste system. That's because these kids who do have special needs are of little to no value, um, especially girls. Girls really don't hold a lot of significance in their culture. Mm -hmm. They actually mourn in the hospital when girls are born and when boys are born, they have parties, they celebrate and the doctors give candy. You know, it's just a whole completely different paradigm. So we went into it thinking we're gonna adopt a girl. Uh, we're like, well, Anita's greater, we're gonna adopt a girl. But on our special needs consideration list, um, one of the things, the boxes we had to check, yes, no, maybe, was Down syndrome. And when we came to it, we we're like, well, there's not really much different about a child with Down syndrome's life. You know, I mean, yes, they do have complications um, and difficulties, but it wouldn't keep us from adopting this child. And so we checked it. We said yes. And I didn't know that at that moment, Mike said that he felt the Lord leading him to say yes to that question, you know. Um, and then, so we started our home study in March and it finished in August. And then we started matching, gosh, I want to say three months after that. Okay. Um, our first file was presented to us at the end of December. So I remember it being around Christmas time. And it was a boy with Down syndrome. And immediately I was like, huh, that's not what I thought because in my mind I had pictured a girl. So that kind of began our process of adopting our son, Avi. Um, and I think that that is why our process might've gone a little quicker, to be honest. We were more open on the special needs spectrum. Um, I think a lot of times from an American perspective, we think I wanna have the perfect ideal, healthy children scenario. Um, and that that can actually impede progress because yeah. you are so set on an ideal maybe yeah and then what made you decide both of you that you were open to this was there a conversation ever about are we okay with special needs or was it just something that you both plowed through and said yes let's just keep checking boxes and see what what god makes us walk through right um I, honestly and again it's a looking back thing it's looking back and seeing how God had prepared us for this moment um, while I was at this school. And, and through many of my, I would say, just kind of ed educational experiences, I had worked with special needs children. When we were in Indiana, I was a paraprofessional with our special needs population. Um, we also did a lot of, we worked at a community center. So there's a lot of just troubled youth there that dealt with a lot of past of trauma. And then um, working with our a, a largely autistic population throughout education. So I look back at these things and I realized God was preparing me. So there wasn't a point for us to say um, whether we were close to it. We were open to it to begin with. And honestly, we, we expected that from adoption, right? I mean, it's children who have been never had the relationship of a mom and dad. They've been living in an institution. They're not getting... Um, the very normal things that are developmental for us of just the touch of a parent, of the consistency of meals and sounds and songs and the nourishment of going outside and play. And um, so you can imagine that a kid who grows up in that environment for the very significant years of their life are going to have a delay. So we already knew that that would be a case. Um, you don't know about prenatal care. So there's all these different 
hurdles and things that you just assume, well, this kid's not going to, they're, they're going to be delayed no matter what. And uh, so we were in it for that to begin with. Well, tell me, based on your expectations going into the situation, did they meet your expectations or when you made it to India were things way different than you could have ever imagined? Oh man. Yeah. They were way different. Um, I will say we were, I was just talking to a group of friends about this last night that, you know, my, my dear friend has adopted um, three kids and two internationally. And I've walked with her through these steps. Her daughter's adopted from India. And so I walked with her through that. I understood the timeline and she even just kind of tried to mentally prepare me of like the hardships that would await. We went to the seminars, we read the books, we did the online education. You know, I mean, we felt like we got this. We we're not worried at all. And then um, it's, I equate it to when your newborn's born at the hospital and they give it to you and they say, here you go, go home. And you're like, what? Um, I don't, I don't have a manual. And that was part of it, but just throw in all the international components, the struggle of the culture, um, disparity. But, um, you know, I have been posting on social media recently recounting because it was a year ago that we brought our son home. It was a year ago that we had our gotcha day and walked through all those things. And today was a day that we had visa. Mm -hmm. And I read my journal entry this morning and just like, trying to celebrate that, that yes, we got the visa. This is such a good thing. But the rest of that day was really hard. And I actually wrote, I don't think I can make it here one more day. I just don't have it in me. Um, and then this morning in the car, we were listening to worship with our son, you know, at this completely different removed point, but we're listening to Maverick City's song, God Will Work It Out. And it brought me right back to that place in India, because I remember us putting these songs of worship on to um, call our spirits to account of like, we will not, like, we don't have the strength to make it through this, but the Lord will work it out. And we were doing everything that we could to just be obedient, to say, yes, God, we trust you. Um, but our son had upper respiratory infection when he came into our care. And for some kids, it might be easier to get over. But again, he had a very weak immune system because he had Down syndrome. There are a lot of other just um, anatomical complexities that come with that. He has smaller sinuses and smaller ear canals, so he couldn't drain. Um, his life was broken. He just left everything that he knew. Even though that was brokenness, he was leaving it because it was the only norm he had. And he was coming with these two people he never met, and he was living with them in a hotel for, you know, eight days. And that was traumatizing for him. How so old was he at the time, did you say? He had just turned two the month before. So he was 25 months old. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't eat. He couldn't, he couldn't really breathe. I didn't come prepared with all of these things thinking that I would be caring for a sick child. I had like Tylenol, children's Tylenol that wasn't doing anything. Um, and we were jet lagged. He wasn't sleeping at night. He was up probably 12 to 15 times every night. And uh, so we got maybe two hours of sleep every single night. And then I got what is, I think, infamously known as deli belly and got really sick. Mike started, we both got the cold that Avi had, but we could handle it because we have a different immune system than him. And um, it just felt like everything was going wrong, honestly. It really did. Um, 
I was dealing with severe anxiety as a mom, a new mom of wanting to know how to meet his needs and not knowing him. You know, I can look at him now and I can see when he's off. You know, I can say, "Uh oh, you look like you're getting a fever," but I didn't know it was normal for him, and um, and he was afraid of me, and I was afraid of him. He was screaming. He didn't know any other way to communicate with us. Um, very delayed in his development. You know, so as a two-year-old, he didn't talk. He didn't walk, um, and he slept a lot because he was so sick. And when he would be awake. He'd scream because he hated the hotel room and we did too. So we would, um, the kind of blessing of this was connected to our mall. This is a big deal. In, in, I mean, sorry, connected to our hotel was malls. And that's a big deal in India. There's like big malls here, another big mall over here. And we would walk laps and laps and laps. And we literally probably walked at least six miles a day, just holding him in the carrier. And you get stairs, you know, from, everyone there's Indian and they're looking at us as American Caucasian couple with this little sick baby who a lot of times we carried around in his diaper because he had a fever and he was so inconsolable and we're like, they think we're crazy, you know? So you're just dealing with all these internal dynamics that you cannot be prepared for in a seminar or a book or even anybody else's story. It is just being put in that experience alone but my friend had said to me when we left, this will be your labor story. And I thought, okay. And I didn't feel the physical pains of contractions, but I was at my worst. You know, I was feeling pain in many different ways. Well, how did the Lord show up for you? You've had the benefit of a year to look back, which I do think is so significant that you've just started opening up on social media and posting about that a year later. Mm -hmm. Can you, in hindsight, see the ways that the Lord was caring for your family during that time? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So looking back, hindsight, you know, feeling completely unprepared for it. I wrote on my journal entry maybe two days ago that um, I'm trying to remember exactly what I said, but I remember just saying like, God, I am trying to call to mind that this was always your plan and that Avi won't always be sick. We won't always be afraid, but Jesus, you will always be good. And we are living that out. Um, you know, Avi is not sick all the time and I definitely have my, my struggles as a mom, but I, he and I have a, a wonderful relationship now. And to go from this boy who was afraid of me, who now like doesn't want to be separated from me and calls me mama all day long. Um, that alone is just a testament of the work that the Lord does within that year's time. And um, I, I wouldn't forsake the suffering. I really wouldn't because I felt the nearness of Jesus in a way that we couldn't have experienced otherwise. And I think that's what he desires, right? Like he desires us bringing our brokenness to him and saying, God, I don't have it in me. I actually wrote that one day on my journal. Will I be enough? And the Lord assured me, no, no, you won't. You won't be enough. And that's the way it's supposed to be. I want you to come to me broken and contrite. And I want you to be a broken vessel, even in front of your son, so that he would see that, and all of our in in inadequacies, that he is sufficient and he is perfect. Um, and even today in my journal, again, I read it this morning, I read uh, Psalm 121, the Song of Ascent, you know, 
I look to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord maker of heaven and earth, you know? And I just read over that and meditated on it because even though I felt at my lowest point, I knew that I could look to him. I knew that he would hold me, that he would keep me and um, that he was not asleep in any of it, that he was actually guarding the arrows and that he was, he was being sufficient for us in that moment. That is beautiful. Well, despite how difficult that process was and how rewarding it was, you and your husband have recently made another decision. Will you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I forgot to tell you, and I just wanted to add this because I said early on that October 5th was an important day of 2020. And this, again, is just important to the sovereignty of God. So Avi was born uh, five weeks early, and that was August 31st of 2020. But it, had he been born, Five weeks to the day was my dad's death day. Mm. And that to me was just, I think another, um, just another affirmation of that, like the Lord is a redeemer and that he knows all these things. He knew Avi before the foundation of the earth, because there are many times I asked God, why 11 years? Like, really, why'd you make us wait 11 years? And the simple answer is this, Avi wasn't born (laughs) because he always intended Avi for us. And we couldn't have been prepared for that, but he used those 11 years to be the appearance that Avi needed um, and to prepare us to be at the point where we were ready to go, you know, ready to say yes. Yeah. But um, yeah, so we are, we're starting another adoption story. And with that's, that's crazy alone. Liz, when I came home, I said, I will never go back to India again. <laughs> And, um, it sounds like what all moms say, I will never have another baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they forget yeah. the labor pains. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. You have a way of forgetting. And I think that that is maybe a blessing and a curse. Um, cause a lot of times we can use that to forget the Lord's faithfulness. And the reason I say that is because when we started, um, now being a year out, we knew we wanted Avi to have a sibling. And so, and, and kids with Down syndrome do really well having that just peer role model to grow from, to emulate and, and for him to have a friend, quite honestly, you know, I, I want him to have a lifelong friend and that was part of our, okay, let's get this going again. And we actually thought that we would pursue domestic adoption just because in our mind, it checked off a lot of boxes. It just seemed like the right fit and the Lord kept tugging our hearts and pulling us back to India over and over again. And Mike said to me one day, I think we're supposed to go back to India. Oh, my computer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think you're right. I think you are. And it was just this love, this love of things that you, like you said, you are so removed from the pain that you can actually enjoy the beauty of the things of like the people and the culture and the sweetness of Christ's presence with us. Um, so there were far removed wonderful things um but we just couldn't see them because of our own fears that were that was going on in that moment but we felt home call us back to india and i was nervous about that i honestly quite i quite honestly still struggle with that but that was i think why the lord told me to share the story um i had not posted any of those pictures during the time that we were walking through it because Social media was the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't have a second to just spare. We were kind of in survival mode, like I said. Um, and I'm not a person who processes in the moment. I am most definitely 
a person who looks back and can then kind of see the full picture. And that was what I felt the Lord prompt me to do, to remember, to look back to the Ebenezer's. I actually listened to another podcast recently of another adoptive mom who said that. Remember the Ebenezer's. Ask him for the details and, um, and look for it. Expect his faithfulness. And I needed that reminder because I was feeling fearful of going back to India. Um, I remember all that anxiety so well that I was like, oh, God, I don't, I don't want to do it again. That, that feeling, but knowing, um, that I needed to kind of exhort, exhort him. I needed to get outside of myself and look at his story. And when she said, look for the details and ask him for the details, it was true. Avi and his adoption process answered so many of our prayers. We asked that he would be um, protected, that he would be in a good orphanage, and that he would be even, even at that age, that he would hear the name of Jesus. Now, that's actually close to impossible, being in an orphanage in India. He was in South India, which is a more Christian region. Um, they have a lot of Catholic populations, so he was in a Catholic orphanage the first time he was in one. He actually went to two orphanages. The second one was a special needs one that was government mandated that he had to move. But the first one was a Catholic orphanage. And so just knowing that he was in this environment and that he was safe and that he went to a special needs home and that they were helping, trying to do early intervention with him at these ages, those things don't happen. Like that does not happen in adoptions. Um, especially internationally in, in a country like India. So God had answered our details and, um, and Avi is joy. He is just joy. And that was something that the manager of the first orphanage, Sister Shaggy, she said to me, um, Avi will bring you great joy. And she said that we were the answer to her prayers. And I was like, what do you mean? You're like, she had prayed over him. And that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in Indian adoptions. So God reminded me, ask him for the details. Even now in this adoption, ask him for the details. And going back and looking at the story and feeling the emotions of those days, but looking at where we are now and interacting with my son today, I'm like, wow, God, you are so faithful to bring us from there. And I know he'll do it again. And that was why, um, I love listening to that song of worship this morning of like, Avi loves music. So he's in the back, raising his hands, screaming and singing. And we are singing, God will work it out. God will work it out. One thing I know, one thing I found is God will work it out. And sometimes we just, we don't know it. We don't discover it until he puts us in those waters. And um, I do, I do still have my fears and anxieties, but I look to his faithfulness because I know he will be faithful forever. And um, that holds me. That keeps me really, uh, that keeps me safe in a God who is limitless and who is unfailing in the midst of all of my own failings. Well, if I know that you guys are very early in this journey, um, but if somebody wants to follow along and get more information and learn about ways that they can contribute to the fundraising taking place, how can they follow along with you with social media? Absolutely. Um, I, like I said, I'm posting pretty heavily right now on my Instagram account and that is just, you know, at Jess VK, J E S V K. Um, and then I also have a Facebook account, Jesse Van Claiborne. 
And those stories are kind of coinciding. I do have, you know, right now, this is maybe the hard part and the hard part for me of, of sharing this information is because Liz, I know you. And so if I were to say, hey, you can PayPal or Venmo me, you'd be like, yes, I know you. I trust that. But anybody else listening right now that doesn't know me go, hold on a minute. This feels kind of weird. And the reason is, is because we're at this very preliminary point of this for, you know, this next adoption. Um, we have to do our application approval. We have to go over our special needs consideration list again. We have to do an inquiry call. And then an account will be set up with our agency. And that is Lifeline Children's Services. They are based out of Birmingham, Alabama, and they are phenomenal. They're just a wonderful Christian agency. And so then um, once that goes through, which should be soon before the month of October, people could call our agency and then ask to speak with the um, the financial department. Say, I'd like to make a donation to Michael and Jesse Van Claveren. And they would know, they'd find our account, it would go to it. There is that means. Um, it's tax deductible at that point? Yes, it is going through this agency. Now, the, the issue is we're trying to go through the hurdles to get through our home study. And the reason we want to get through our home study is because once that is approved, we can then um, be approved for a 501c3. And the one we used last time was called Life Song. Sounds a lot like our agency. It gets confusing, but it's Life Song for Orphans. And then you can make donations. And again, that is tax deductible. And people might feel better giving in those means. But we do have a lot of hoops to get through to get past our home study point. But cost-wise, can you give us an idea what it costs in total to bring a child home in an international adoption? Yeah. So India specifically, because every country is different, right? Um, every country has their own processes and fees and travel time periods and things like that. And so India specifically is about $37,000. And um, the first time that we heard that, again, in our process with Avi, it was like looking down the barrel of a rifle. We're like, how will that ever happen? We are both teachers. Like, I just don't know how this will happen. And um, again, God, we were actually at one of our adoption conferences that we had to do during the process. And our caseworker came up to us and she said, y'all, this only happens maybe once a year within Lifeline. And it's never happened to one of the families I've personally been working with, but you just received a $15,000 grant. And our jaws dropped and we started bawling. Like, I feel it even in this moment of just like, how God? And that was brought us to the very end. We had raised all the adoptions, like funds we needed up to that point. And the 15,000 was the end. And it's just God knows. Um, so I say that because I know going into this, he'll provide. And I think I would have been more, I had more fear than our first one, obviously, having not navigated these waters. But now I'm like, God, you know what? It's still a lot of money and I still don't know how it'll work out, but I trust you because this kid is yours. And when we received the $15,000, we really felt the Lord impress upon us that he was not just meeting the needs of our adoption. He was meeting the needs of this child. And it was like a promise of like, I will always care for you. And I will always meet the needs of this child because he knew Avi. Um, we hadn't even matched at that point when we received this grant. We're just like, okay, God, you know, you know, our kid, you know, their needs. Um, so yeah, it, it sounds very expensive. My husband, we just did a chili cook off fundraiser recently and we printed off like a write up to explain in detail, just all the areas that these funds go to, because it's not, none of it's going to 
the purchase of this child, right? Like that's trafficking. It, there are so many governmental, you know, just, I don't know if you heard that, it's my son. <laughs> governmental agencies and the adoption agency itself has their processing fees. And so it's very detailed on this spreadsheet that we have, but uh, I just, like to articulate to people because some people might not know how to verbalize it, you know, but they might say, how much does it cost to get a kid from India? I'm like, well, first we're not buying a kid. <laughs> we are going through the process that is the legally approved procedure for bringing a child home. But yeah, that's the, that's the average for India. Okay. Well, Jesse, we always end by asking our guests what they want to be most remembered for. So what do you want to be remembered for? Um, Quite honestly, I think the word that has come to me most this week is a broken vessel. Um, I, I feel that I still fail every day. I still struggle with the thoughts of wanting to be enough for my son, um, wanting to meet all of his needs and feeling like every mom feels I'm failing. I just can't do all these things right. Um, but I want to come to the Lord as a broken vessel to be mended and to be filled continuously. And um, that is the that is the God that we serve. That He will do that work because He wants us to be broken in His hands. And um, there, there's just nothing that I can boast of but His faithfulness. And on that note, <laughs> listeners, as always, whatever your journey, whatever your struggle, own it, share it, and let God use it. Have a blessed day.